I want to take a quick second and talk about how you can support our show. I believe this is the most honest way that I can connect with you, the listener, and put it in front of everyone. You can support our show for as little as 99 cents a month. We release four podcasts a month, all at an average length of about an hour. That means you are supporting us at just 25 cents an hour. That's that's cheaper than the dollar menu. I think it's safe to say that we provide more value than that. And if you learn anything from our content, please consider becoming a supporter today with the link in the description of any episode or on the website at feedingcuriosity.net. And with that, thanks for listening and please enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Feeding Curiosity. I'm your host, Eric Wenzel, as always. Feeding Curiosity is a podcast that explores the precarity of human experience, and we challenge ourselves and others to think, question, and synthesize wherever our curiosity takes us. It is through conversations like what you're about to hear that we provide blueprints for others to learn and lead a more fulfilling life. And without further ado, let's introduce today's guest. Our guest today on the podcast is Bill Waterstreet, returning to the podcast as he wraps up his graduate degree from University of Michigan. Bill enlisted in the United States Marine Corps, starting his service in January 2011. When deployed to Afghanistan in 2013 and 2014, he sits Army units in their information operation capacities. He completed his service in the Corps and was honorably discharged in January of 2015 at the rank of sergeant. Following his service, Bill began attending the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor in the fall of 2015. There, he majored in mechanical engineering and minor in electrical engineering. After graduating his bachelor's degree, he continued on in Michigan and achieved his master's degrees in mechanical engineering with a focus on controls and completed the degree in April 2020. Today's conversation is a continuation of Bill's most recent chapter of his life with the completion of his graduate degree and moving on to the working world. And as the title of this podcast, Bill will now be working with Northrop Grumman and its NASA partnership for the James Webb Space Telescope. Bill spends the majority of this podcast talking about his work on the project and a lot of the cool science that's going into the James Webb Space Telescope. And it's very, very cool for me to to sit and hear another engineer talk about the things that they're working on, especially something like the James Webb that will be replacing the Hubble telescope. And in this conversation, Bill does a great job of making science accessible to the average listener. He really thinks of analogies and examples so that other people can understand who may not be as technical minded on how we test complex machines or how to test these very complicated projects so that they actually work when they go out in space and we actually can't fix them. And now for a short correction section before we get into the podcast, because we talked about the Big Bang and seeing things in space with some pretty intense numbers, but we really didn't fact check ourselves in the middle of the conversation because it's it would be difficult. I wanted to throw it in here now so that if you hear the numbers, just remember and make note that those numbers are off and here are the correct ones now. So the first one being is the age of the universe is just under 13.8 billion years old and the furthest observational limit of the Hubble telescope is 13.2 billion light years. Images are pretty unclear at that distance and many more observations that are a little closer than that. The Hubble will be able to gather less than ideal images from objects 600 to 800 uh, million years after the Big Bang at the furthest extent. The James Webb will be able to collect data from objects 200 to 400 million years after the Big Bang. And then 
a small correction of the actual James Webb. We said that each hexagonal mirror has only three grams of gold plating on its surface. We said three atoms thick. That might not be right. It's still tiny amount with the amount of surface area, but it equates to 120 nanometer thickness of gold each. The plant operational life of the James Webb is 10 years. So I'm not sure what the exact year we said was, but we expect once it's up in space to be 10 years long. So that is all of the rap <laughs> sheet here on this podcast. And I hope you all enjoy this fascinating conversation about Bill's next career working on the James Webb Space Telescope and his interest in space please enjoy oh man what do we want to get into so we got to talk about the james webb okay yeah so uh i was pulling up some uh some stats just to make sure i get all the all the numbers fucking right here but it's so what's um, the context first oh yeah yeah so i am people who didn't listen to me the first time i my name is bill water street i am a recent graduate of the university of michigan just finished my second degree uh from michigan i have a master's degree in uh, mechanical engineering with a focus in controls mechatronics so that kind of stuff basically how your cruise control system works how like things fly themselves or way cooler how to make like terminators work so you know. robots yeah robo so, things yeah but it's, it's any kind of control system so like robot arms that build cars like that's all controls how you move them so anything that like kind of controls machinery and like the logic and algorithms to do that and then also the physical knowledge and the electrical knowledge to kind of you know that's required behind that so I'll be moving out to LA in two months to get a job or to start my job with uh, Northrop Grumman working on the James Webb Space Telescope which is awesome. If anybody is who's listening to this has not seen a picture, uh, press pause and go Google it right now and take a look. It's got this awesome looking golden honeycomb mirror and it's, it's a beautiful thing. And I was lucky I was able to get a picture with it. I interned there, uh, down there last summer and they extended me a job offer to come back. So that's what I'm going to be doing the next, uh, probably next two years of my life is till that thing launches. So desperately trying to not break it. So. <laughs> so what it is, it's an infrared space telescope, and it's it's massive. It's the like m- most technologically complicated thing we've ever launched into space, and it basically it's it's the spiritual successor to the Hubble Space Telescope. It's an infrared light space telescope, so it means it doesn't see visible light like the Hubble does. It sees you know just a little bit further into the to the infrared, and it has uh, let me see here. It has a near infrared camera, I believe a long infrared and two mid infrared. I could be getting that wrong. Though. And what these are going to be able to let us do why it's looking at infrared light is because the Hubble Space Telescope can only see out so far because there's uh, gas and there's other light coming in and it's, it's difficult. There's just things in the way that you can't see out as far. Well, now when you have this telescope up there, you're going to be able to see through all that, like those nebulas and that gas, and it's going to let you see farther out into space. And so what that means is you're going to be able to see farther back in time, which is really cool. So the Hubble Space Telescope, I want to make sure I get this right. Uh, it's not on my fact sheet here. Okay, so I'm going from memory. These might be these numbers might be a little off. So the Big Bang, I believe, was 14.1 billion years ago, or maybe it was 13.1. Something like it's that. It's one of those two. Yeah. yeah. And then, so the Hubble is able to see, I think it's, uh, so it's either 12.6 or 13.6, you know, based on what I just said, billion light years outwards. So, like, that's that's the furthest light away that it can see. And so that means, 
So I'm going to use this analogy because I used this with my aunt uh, like a week ago and I thought of this, I thought this up on the spot and I was kind of proud of myself. So uh, to explain if this is confusing, why seeing farther away means you're seeing further back in time. Imagine you are up on the International Space Station and you were just looking out into the inky blackness of space. <clears throat> and I, with a, with a big telescope and uh, like a pirate on like a ship, you know, you're just standing on top of the thing. And I, one light year away light a match and you're looking at me in space uh, and it's a match that can burn in a vacuum and so <laughs> it's a so magical I'm, match. I'm gonna make sure i get my physics right <laughs> if anybody should it should be me <laughs> um and so i light a match what's gonna happen then are you gonna see it oh from the no no. Eventually, so it's um, one light year away. So that light will take one year to travel from where I lit the match to where I uh, to where you are looking through your telescope. So that means, and if you look at something that's ten light years away, you're seeing light of events that occurred ten years ago. So mm. if you are able to look further and further away, approaching fourteen point one billion years then you are seeing closer and closer to the Big Bang, to the start of the universe. And the James Webb gets us just a little bit closer to the origins of the universe than the Hubble Space Telescope. And that's why it's so cool. So, like, we're going to be able to learn things about the universe. Like, once that goes up and it's operational... How far back is it going to be able to see? So, I think it's... So, the let's, for the sake of argument, like, it's 14.1 uh, billion years old. Uh, the Hubble is 13.6. Uh, and then the James Webb is going to get to 13.7, I believe. 13.7 something. So. I'm really curious to see what happens when we hit the point where we can see farther back in time than we suspect the universe is old. So, okay, yeah, it's you can't. If the theory of the Big Bang is correct, you can't. Yeah. Because there is... Nothing past that. Well, it's... So the reason we are distant from these things is because we all started at the same point. We all started at the same star. And the reason that these things are so far away is because we are moving away. We are moving away from the, the point in space where the Big Bang occurred. And other things are moving away in the opposite direction or in tangential directions. So like 90 degrees from us. Mm -hmm. And so what that, and so really interesting thing about oh, that. That's the red shift. Is, yeah, so things like that. Yeah, you get shifts in color uh, in the spectrum. But what's really cool thing is that so they always thought, they theorized, they were like, okay, is the universe expanding or contracting? And so like, you know, it was uh, decades ago, they figured out, oh, the universe is expanding. But then the thought for the longest time is that the universe is expanding, but it's slowing in its expansion or constant in its, its, uh, in its expansion. Because that makes sense physically. You know, you get shot out of a gun, the bullet's only going to keep its velocity, you know, in a vacuum with no effects of gravity, or it gets slowed down by, you know, like wind resistance or like, or by gravity in this case, and stellar bodies. So that was always the, 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 the orthodoxy, the thought that like, okay, we're either continuing at the same pace <clears throat> or we're slowing down and everything will go out and come back in and then the universe will reform into another giant solar body and we'll have another big bang billions of years in the future what they've found in the last couple of decades and a couple of people won Nobel prizes for nobel prizes for this is the expansion of the universe is actually actually accelerating hmm. why we have no idea hmm. cool yeah and what that means is that there are things works so the expansion of the universe is getting faster and faster and faster so we're not only moving away from bodies that are moving away from us 
I'm using my hands when I'm when I'm saying this. So sorry <laughs> to anybody who can't. But picture like two cars driving away from. Two cars leave a McDonald's at the same time, and they're both driving in opposite directions. This sounds so. like one of those early math problems I heard. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. Are you about to drop some fucking questions on me that I might be able to answer? <laughs> One's going 40 miles an hour. No! <laughs> and so, so that's what we're, like, our solar system, and then another solar system on the other side of the universe is doing. Well, what's going to happen eventually is that we're going to be moving away from each other so fast that we can no longer see them. Because we'll be moving apart from each other faster than the speed of light. Now, none, neither of us will surpass the speed of light. Right. You know, but, the, but we will get to the point where they are so far away and we are moving away from each other at such a speed where we can no longer view this thing. So there's an event horizon to yeah, what we can observe yeah, from our solar system. And we already know that. There are already things we cannot observe. They, we are moving apart so quickly mm -hmm. and they are so far away already. Yeah, so cool stuff. But, and so hopefully, oh, so here's the other reason. You will never be able to see past the, the big, so that's, okay, so that's the reason you cannot see anything further back than the Big Bang, because we were all part of that one gigantic singularity at mm -hmm. one point. We all came from that. And so you can't, like, we coalesced from that, and the last moment of that's existence, the, the light that emanated from that, so, like, the moment the Big Bang went supernova, that has been accelerating, that has been moving away from the point of the Big Bang at the speed of light since the moment of the Big Bang. So you would have to get out to where that light is, which would require mm -hmm. you surpassing the speed of light in order to <laughs> see it. So if you could somehow move, surpass the speed of light, which we have no physical, right. like we, like, like physicists are, like we're pretty sure you can't do it. It breaks all of our, our, our physical laws if the, 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 the speed of light is not a universal speed limit. For now, there are possibilities, like, it's, you'd have to talk to a theoretical physicist who, like, is, an, you know, a PhD, an expert in this field, to really get into why, or, like, how much of this is possible. Like, maybe wormholes are, like, something that's able to, like, so you take, what's, oh, what's the movie? No, not Interstellar. The movie Space with... Oh, I, they did the same thing in Interstellar, but they stole it from a movie in the 90s, which has... No. The dude who played... Lawrence Fishburne is in that movie. It's about a ship that like goes out to Neptune or something. And it was an Event Horizon, wasn't it? It might be Event Horizon. Yeah, it might be Event Horizon. And they fold a piece of paper and stick a pencil through yep. it. Yeah. So, so space time. Yeah, so that might be a way you could get far enough out to see light from before the Big Bang. So, but other than that, I don't think there's a way to do it. Cause you can't, you know, you can't just like, you know, put rockets on something and make it surpass the speed of light. Mm. So they thought for a second in the Big Hadron, uh, on the Large Hadron Collider, that they had found some particles that were moving faster than the speed of light, but it turned out to be a sensor error. So uh, yeah, whoops, you know. <laughs> oh my God, physics is broken. Oh no, sorry, our bad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, basically like, wrong. <laughs> that was like science for like two months. So, yeah. Freaking out, yeah. wow. That's so crazy. Mm -hmm. Isn't there some theoretical show where they think they can they think they can make a black hole at the large head Ryan Claire? So they were worried about that when they first uh, started running it. Mm -hmm. They were worried they were going to smack particles into each other so hard that they were going to create a singularity. That hasn't happened. Yeah. <laughs> so and they're they're pretty sure it won't. But I don't know the science behind. It. I just know that like the scientists aren't concerned about it. 
So, yeah, you'd have to... I've seen the beginning of this movie. Goku. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, just, you know, slam particles in here to yeah. see what happens. So, what, what are some other... It could never escape the lab. <laughs> Ten minutes later. <laughs> so, what are some other fun Big Bang... Oh, so, okay, here's another fun thing about the Big Bang. Is that, so... Okay, let's theorize. Maybe before the Big Bang, before, you know, this large, massive solar body that, you know, went supernova and created our universe as it is now... Was there a universe before that Just that just all collapsed into this thing? And then, you know, like, okay, then it reformed, heated all back up, and then shot it all back out. Is the universe cyclical is the question. Yeah. So it is impossible to know because no information made it through the Big Bang. There is no information extant inside, like nothing that could have existed before went into the stellar body that caused the Big Bang and remained when it, you know, went supernova and kicked everything back out to make our universe today. There is all the information that existed before the Big Bang is gone. It no longer it, right. it no it longer totally exists. wiped and yeah. re reemerges yeah. yeah. it's new. So Wah, wah. So yeah, anybody who wanted to, you know, get closer to the you know, the origins of meaning and life through that method, sorry. So, <laughs> <laughs> turn to God. So. <laughs> oh, but yeah. So, okay, so let's get back to the James Webb. Uh, so, um, working on that, it was originally scheduled to... I'm struggling to remember this date because everybody working on the project knew it wasn't going to happen. Because they, I think they were saying it was, like, going to launch this summer or something like that, but or maybe it was later in the fall or, like, like late 2020, early 2021. Basically, everybody working on the project last summer was all like, yeah, it's not going to happen. So, but, uh, so now they've delayed the launch again. It's supposed to launch in 2021. Summer-ish is kind of like when people are feeling. Uh, so at this point, it's all put together. It's all, uh, granted, like, remember, I've been off the, I haven't been down to the project for like a year now, but I've been keeping up with it. It's all put together, which is a huge step that hadn't been done before. You have to, normally with a satellite, you'll do a whole bunch of tests to it to make sure uh, everything's good. So you'll do like a vibration test. You'll take it and put it on a vibration table, which is just like a big platform that shakes and vibrates and then you know, make sure, okay, does anything fall off? You know, mm-hmm. um, they'll put it in these huge chambers and then you'll cycle temperatures. So you'll go down, you know, to the vacuum, the temperature of a vacuum of space, uh, but then raise it back up to like the temperature of launch, the temperature it experienced during launch, even a little more. And then the temperature, like the hot side will face, you know, that's facing the sun and to make sure it's going to be with, be able to withstand all that. Against all, it's designed to do all these things, but you have to test mm-hmm. it. And then they'll do a vacuum test, you know, they'll suck all the air out, and then they'll mm-hmm. cycle the temperatures too. So they basically run it through everything on Earth that we possibly can. We do this for, you know, any important satellite we launch into space, we do this for. Mm-hmm. So any, like, military satellite Almost that goes any up. military product in general. That was my job. I yeah. did a lot of that stuff. Yep. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, they couldn't, so the, they couldn't actually do it in California for one half of the James Webb Space Telescope, they had to ship it over to Texas because they were that was like the only place in America that had a thermal vacuum chamber big enough to fit you know that yeah. half of the James Webb in there and test it. How big is this thing? Huge. Oh, it's massive. So the the main mirror is six point five meters across. Woo. So like if I if I laid down, you could put like three of me, maybe three and a half, like head to toe, and that's just the main mirror. The sun twenty four feet. Yeah, I'd have to do my metric to, you know... Three times... Feet. Three times... Converter, six. yeah. Oh, yeah, because yards, meters. Yeah. So, yeah, something like that. And so, the... What was I going to say? Oh, so the sunshade. So, the basically, the way it works is that the mirror needs to stay so extremely cold 
to be able to pick up the infrared light that's coming in from deep space. Mm-hmm. And uh, in order to do that, so it is, it's also very sensitive to interference from things around it, so it's not actually going to be in orbit. This is the other really cool thing about it, and extremely dangerous in terms of it working well. So it's not going to be in orbit around Earth when we send it up. It's going to be at the L2 Lagrange point. So if you imagine the sun, Earth, and a point in space in a line, so draw a line from the sun through Earth, farther out, so it's, I don't want to put a distance on it because I'm going to screw it up, but it's, it's much farther than orbit, way, way, way farther than something, than like the Hubble is in, in orbit around Earth. So it's really far out there. So it's way farther than the moon. And so uh, it's a point of stable gravity in Earth's orbit. So what the James, the James Webb is actually orbiting the sun and not Earth. And so it's sitting out way beyond Earth. And so like as uh, you can kind of picture like a compass being drawn in a circle. So when Earth is orbiting around the sun, extend your compass out and draw a bigger circle out there and it's orbiting at the same rate so you know it's just always kind of like right behind earth and so it's very cold out there and it's a stable point of gravity so it'll always stay there you know once we stick it there and so to keep the mirror cold you have these massive sunshades on the spacecraft part of the telescope now what that does and there's multiple layers and there are these little very very thin plastics that are basically designed to absorb the radiation from the sun and dissipate it and stop it from getting to the main mirror, mm-hmm. to the telescope part itself. And then we have, there's like a cryo-cooling system on there as well that keeps it all super cold. And uh, I can't remember the temperature differential, but it's like, it's hundreds of degrees like above, you know, freezing on one side of the shades where the sun is constantly hitting. And on the other side, it's like four degrees Kelvin. So yeah. <laughs> Which is, uh, is is insanely cold. It's near absolute zero. So it's like, I'm trying to think of a good way It's uh, to describe that. So that's like colder than 107, negative 170 degrees Celsius. So it's cold insanely cold. Fuck. Yes. Yeah, and yeah. so, and you need that for this to work properly. Hmm. So cool. Doing all this. Awesome, right? Well, here's the problem. When we launched the Hubble, what happened? Oh, did something get fucked? Uh, was it one of the lenses? So the main lens of the Hubble, when we sent it up, the outer edge um, of the mirror was machined imprecisely. How how much do you guys think they were off? Like in 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 oh. in a matter of like meters, millimeters, centimeters, etc. I, I I remember it being some absolutely insanely small portion. It's like nano small. It's yeah. really some disgusting It was of a money. couple of micrometers yeah. on the outer edge of the Hubble Space Telescope's mirror that they had machined it and were off by. I think I can't remember if it was too thin or too thick. And it, it screwed up everything. The thing was, you could get like blurry pictures of like the stars, but you couldn't get anything zoomed in from anything far away. And so it was, for its purpose, was nearly inoperable. Now, because this, uh, the Hubble Space Telescope was in, uh, I can't remember if it's low Earth orbit or geosynchronous orbit, but in orbit around Earth, you can get there at the time with a space shuttle, uh, with a space shuttle now, and you know with a rocket. So and so that's what we did. We sent a space shuttle up, and we put some new uh, technology on it. We didn't put a new lens. They just put some computational ability on there mm-hmm. to correct for how the light was off because of the mirror, and it worked. And now the Hubble has exceeded its 
Oh, it's actually, we just had this anniversary. It's been up there, I think, for three decades working at this wow. point. And its operational life was like a fraction of that. Yeah. You know, and that's because, uh, what is the, uh, man, I, uh, I used to know this. It was, I think, might have been four or five years, the operational life of the Hubble, but don't quote me on that one, too. Now that James Webb, its operational life is three years. So all this work to get it up there and work three years. Now, you design and engineer the thing to be so robust that hopefully it goes up there and is able to function like the Hubble has for, you know, a decade and a half or something like that. Now, here's the problem with putting something at the L2 Lagrange point, is that you can't really get a crew up there to fix it if something goes wrong. So when we launch this thing, it better work or, oops, there goes $12 billion. Oh so, boy. Yeah. Jesus. How do, you, how do you test for that? So you do, you run every electronic test that you can on it. You test uh, everything. So like, let's say when I was leaving, when they do this big boom. So the mirror that you see when you look up the James Webb um, and all this beautiful honeycomb structure, which that's gold on those mirrors, by the way, which is super interesting. Everybody's like, oh my God, that must be so expensive to be painting this thing in gold. There's a reason that there's gold on the mirrors. Like, you know, somebody, one of the physicists or something, you know, not my department, knows why that's there. But, so the gold is actually three atoms thick on the James Webb mirror, James Webb's mirrors. Atom level. (laughs) Atom level. The gold that is on that telescope is one of the cheapest things on the telescope. So, <laughs> um, talk about thin paint, man. <laughs> yeah, three atoms thick. So, so there's this big main mirror, and what that does that reflects the infrared light up to. You can see in renderings of this. There's a big boom that comes out in front of the mirror, and it reflects it up to that. There's another smaller mirror in there, and that directs the infrared light back down into a hole in the center, and that's where all of the infrared cameras are. So that big, beautiful mirror you see on it, that's, that's all it is. It's a mirror directing light where we want it to go to get to the cameras. And so one of the things they did to test things, like one of the big tests we did when I was leaving, is they tested the boom. And so what well, you have to you have to simulate, you know, using it in zero G. How do you do that? Because you can't just, like, stand it up straight and, like, extend the boom because you have gravity pushing down on it. Yeah. So what you do is you turn it sideways, and then you extend the boom out, and it's as if you are extending it in zero G because all the gravity is acting perpendicular to it. And like, it's, it's basically only pushing down on where it's pushing down tangentially. Uh, so perpendicularly to your axis of motion in, you know, extending this boom because the, the boom extends, you know, in two axes of, you know, movement. And so if you put gravity in the third axis, then it's not affecting that motion that you're testing. So that's one of the things you can do, and then you run, you know, you run every electrical test you could possibly imagine. So, so the boom, so the, the by turning it inside, you're mimicking Earth's or the gravity that it's experiencing. What what is it exactly that's allowing for the sideways motion, to take the place of gravity that's acting on Earth? So you are removing, you are taking gravity, and you are pointing it in a direction that does not affect the motion you're doing. So I'm trying to think of a good analogy. To would there be is I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna come up with something really clever here. Alright. Okay. Um <laughs> I'll hold my breath. I want you to take your arm and uh, like stick it out in front of you, palm vertically. So make like a knife hand, you know? And oh, now no, do like motion. the oh, oh, oh. <laughs> so like move it like that, you know? Down, yeah. Now you can feel the change in gravity. Because when it's like when you're ah, when your yeah. hand is pointing straight up. 
you you feel the force you need to move your arm is different than when it's straight out in front of you. You need right. more force. Right, it's like doing dumbbell flies. Sure. Most of the pressure is up where you're at your highest point. Now, same knife hand, turn it horizontally. And now, move it in that plane. So, from your chest, back out. Also you see constant. how the force you need to move your arm here is exactly the same. It does not change Nothing depending changes. on gravity. Ah, and okay. so that is mimicking. So in this two axis plane, so the horizontal plane as you see it sitting in your chair, gravity is having no effect on motion in this plane. It's the consistency of the yeah. gravity. Yeah, that and now you are mimicking zero G. They're doing it. Got it. it. So that yeah, was such cool. a quick analogy that, that you came perfect. up with. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I'm, I'm pretty proud of that one too. We <laughs> so let's see what other cool stuff. So, yeah, it's going to go out to the L2. Basically has to work. You, we could fix it. Like, you can get a rocket out there and back if, like, if it didn't work and, you know, Elon wanted to launch, yeah, so like, a Falcon Heavy at it, you know, with a crew. We could fix it, but it would be absurdly expensive to do. So, yeah. Oh, oh, points of failure. Okay. Where can we fuck this up? Yeah, yeah let's, talk, let's talk about how easy this is to fuck up. And how many people <laughs> sleep over this? Um, your average, <laughs> your, your really complex space telescopes and satellites that we've sent into orbit have somewhere in the range of between 50 and like 70 to 80 on the high end single points of failure. So single point of failure being if this one thing goes wrong, the whole fucking thing doesn't work. So... The James Webb has 170 some. Oh boy. So more than double the most complex thing we've sent up before. So, and if one of them goes wrong, like, and there are things you can do depending on what it is and when in the deployment cycle, because this thing's a transformer. You know, it's all packed into like the cone of a rocket, you know, at the tip. And when you launch it up there and get it, you know, like going out there, once it's approaching the L2 Lagrange point, it starts unfolding and doing a bunch of, like, a bunch of stuff folds out and things mm -hmm. deploy. And if you can get, like, the your first solar panel extended out properly you know like okay cool like let's say like the then the battery fails like a couple hours after that well it doesn't matter we have the solar panel out you know we don't have as much power as we wanted but like you know we can take our time and okay. slowly so there's, you know, things. there's ways to mitigate some things yes but there are 174 i might be wrong about the 174 170 some single points of failure so things that if they break one thing it's all fucked so yeah <laughs> And then tight. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, my job is to basically finish putting it together. It's almost entirely put together at this point and test it. And if everything's wrong, fix it. So before it goes up. So yeah, uh, that's what we're working on. So, and I don't want to get too much into like details cause I don't know the company might not be happy. Like if I'm <laughs> no, like yeah. detailing, like, Oh, this went, this went right. And this went wrong. Right. So. What are the access codes to the place where you're building this? Yeah. yeah exactly. <laughs> well, so here's the really fun thing about it is cause like Northrop Grumman has a lot of classified projects that they do for the military. This is a NASA project. All NASA projects are totally unclassified. As far as I, I know. Besides the alien shit. Yeah, I'm not supposed to tell them. I told you that. Oh, oh no. Ah, I need to make a call. Uh-oh. Now we're going to have the UFO people. So, so working, there's actually an observation deck. When you, so like the, the James Webb is in this big warehouse in LA. And so uh, that's where I'll be working. And in this massive, so it's a massive clean room. So it's like the, you know, one of the biggest like bays you've ever seen to like build something, you know, massive room. It's all a clean room. So it's in like, you know, you, anytime you go in there, you have to like, you, you go through, you know, you're cleaning up, you clean off your shoes. You put little, you know, those things that cops wear, you know, and they're booties. You know, little booties and you put on a whole clean suit, 
you know, you put on a mask, you know, you're just basically from head to toe, you cover up all your hair, everything, you're, you know, like gloves, everything, you know, if you're going to come up to the satellite, you even tape your gloves on, you know, so nothing can like fall out of your sleeves. And so, and you're also the, the, the gowns you wear. So they're, so they're hyper clean. They're, they're made of material that's very like easy to 100% clean. Like, you know, there's no fibers that are going to come off them or anything. They're also a, oh, what's the name for it? Ah, oh, shit. It's where you, if you're standing inside a metal cage and somebody like tries to zap you with a thousand volts, it can't. Proof? What's it? ESD proof? Yeah, ESD proof. So electro, electrostatic discharge proof, but there's a name for it. It's a, it's a something cage. Faraday cage? Faraday cage. Yes, that's what I was looking for. Totally. So it's a fair, they're, uh, they're also a Faraday cage. And that's really important because static electricity is one of the, the biggest things that can harm a satellite. So uh, they're a Faraday cage. So any electricity that comes and like touches you, they will like run through the suit and hopefully ground itself. Um, and so you aren't going to go bring static electricity to the satellite. Now what you also do, you have these, we have these little like metal lines that run all across the, the satellite. And so you wear a wristband. It's a metal wristband connected to like, you know, like just a little alligator clips. And so you always have that on. And anytime you get within three feet of the satellite or the spacecraft like it's attached to or anything, you come up and you clip onto one of those metal hooks. So even if you generate a static charge, it just goes straight into this thing on your wrist, on your wrist, your, the static charge that your body built up goes right through the wire into this metal cable that's like, you know, near the satellite and takes it into the wall and gets rid of it. Cool. Because static electricity is one of the biggest threats to satellites because when you, when you touch something, the static shock can jump into the electronics and like really small transistors or anything that really small metal bridges between components. It can, if, it, a high, if your static charge uh, shock is a high enough voltage, it can like totally short out those, com or not short out, it can totally break the link in those components. So it can like, you know, delete a piece of metal, you know, like burn it away hmm. uh, between two components and you've lost that connection and maybe your thing doesn't work now. Now that's even worse what it can do is it could be strong enough to where it destroys most of that bridge, but it still works in testing. Because you have a little bit of metal left, uh, but then you launch it, yeah. and six months down the line, oh, that last little bit burns off, and now it doesn't work. So that's why static electricity is so, you have to be so careful for it when you're trying to build this thing. That's so. remarkably complicated. Insanely. No, yeah. And yeah. so easy to break. So That's um, that three atoms for you. That's why it's part of it so sensitive. Yeah. Every little thing. Every yeah. little thing. But the nice thing is, so in this clean room that you know we work there's even, there's an observation bay. And if like somebody from the company, like it does not even on your project, you know, you just come in, you know, you log in on this little log book and you bring anybody in wow. and uh, show them, mm. uh, show them the project. So I showed a couple of uh, our buddies. So it was it Connor and uh, uh, his buddy came down. So uh, they cool. were visiting. Yeah, I was able to take them up there and like, you know, and they have like a little video screen in there. It's playing facts about it. And there's a bunch of facts on the wall. I can tell them all about it. So yeah. This is the James Webb. Yeah. That's how I got my practice for, for this, you know. So oh, showing oh, some yeah. friends in there. As <laughs> so, like a tour guide for yeah. our homies. Yeah. yeah, so. But that's cool because I, I can also talk about it too. You know, you're not working on something classified. I can right, like, yeah. be like, oh, so this is what I do all day. It's so cool. That's really cool. So, but no, what I do all day is mostly because I'm not always down in the clean room. A lot of times I'm upstairs from that, just at a computer. And anything you do to this set, to this, to the James Webb is hyper detailed and logged. Everything, if you turn a screw, there is a sheet of paper that, you know, like logs exactly what screw you turned and like how far and everything, every little detail. And so my job is to, okay, hey, like we decide we need to do this to the satellite. Cool. I then need to like write a step-by-step -step procedure of every, like the way we're going to do this down to the smallest detail and then 
And then like once we, and then it goes through a whole approval process and I'm not very good at it yet. So, you know, I'll bring it to a more senior test engineer. He'll look it over and be like, okay, you got all this stuff right. You got all this stuff wrong. Do it this way. Cool. You know, a couple drafts later, then you push it out to all the different departments that need to look at it. So like, you know, like, okay, electrical guy over here, like, you know, like a, a mechanical designer over here, some like, you know, like somebody higher up the project manager, a technician here. And they'll look at it be like, change this, change that, you know. And then you get to the point, you know, after like a week of working on this, you go, okay, cool, ready to run it. And so then you take this down to the floor and, you know, you have like a couple of guys, you know, like with you. Because I'm actually not allowed to even touch the satellite. The guys who will really like turn all the wrenches on it are technicians who have been specifically trained. Like, you know, that's all they do is they, you know, they do the physical work to this. And I'm sitting there telling them this is what we need to do, you know, and they're mm. super well trained. So if I fuck something up in... Like, oh, I need, I told you to turn it with this tool. And they're like, no, you actually don't use that tool. Use this tool. I'm like, okay, cool. And you have to go and detail, like, I was wrong in saying this and we're actually using this tool, hmm. you know, and like put an addendum on there. Interesting. Um, yeah. And so but literally everything that's done to it is documented. And so that's a lot of the job too, is just writing down like, okay, this is what we're doing. So and it's one of, if you want to know, if you want to feel how my job is, try to go and write down a step-by-step -step instruction sheet of how to make yourself and then eat a bowl of cereal. So just from like as detailed as you can possibly be. No detail unturned. Mm -hmm. And then take it and then go to a friend and say, I want you to follow these instructions down to the letter and then see how it goes. Because parents will do this with their kids I'm all the time. I'm picturing how our friends would do that, yeah. and it would yeah. be a mess. I mean, they, they would intentionally make that worse. Yeah. <laughs> I did that in college. Yeah. We had a PB and J's, but yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah, that's funny. a common word. Because <laughs> yeah. it's, it's it's crazy what people will like. It's a lot of do. inference. Yeah, it's like okay, like okay, apply peanut butter to sandwich. Okay, take your hands, stick it in the peanut butter, <laughs> and smear it on the sandwich. <laughs> you take it as literal as possible. Yeah, it's, it's a, and so that's basically like. What I have to watch out for is like what things are worth denoting and caring about, and what are not. You know what what can be inferred and what can't. So hmm. yeah, so yeah, that's that was, so that was cool. a lot of me talking about the James Webb. But yeah. any Neat. questions? That's yeah. so cool. Yeah. Well, can you give us a tour? We're moving to LA. Yeah. yeah. If you're in LA, I can give you a tour. Oh, yeah. Dude, so. I'm doing that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I'm in. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be I'll be moving down there uh, late. Late August, so end August, so. Oh, wow, that's kind of cool. Same time. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. So cool. Yeah. <laughs> it's hot in here. Dude, it's so it's hot, hot in here. So, it, it's yeah, hot. we're just we're just hot boxing it in here uh, recording <laughs> yeah. this podcast. We're just it's sweating. 90 degrees in here. So, and just... Yeah, so we had to kill the AC, so the audio was uh, was all right. Yeah, so. got full of noise. The sacrifices we make. I know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You're <laughs> welcome, random listener. <laughs> audio, and they can learn all about space. It's actually funny you brought this up because I just finished reading the book, The Cuckoo's Egg, the book by Clifford Stoll, mm -hmm. astronomer turned website or cybersecurity expert accidentally who's one of the first documented cases of basically breaking via networks mm -hmm. so he basically talked about how you can't if in astronomy if you don't write it down it never happened hmm. and that's exactly like what you're saying it's like you just keep a logbook of everything you do and it's really similar to what i did as my job when i was doing testing it's like everything you do you write it down mm. you have to have a paper trail otherwise people say well it might as well never have happened Yep. <laughs> so it's, the attention to details. It's not so tedious. <laughs> it very much is. Science uh, is tedious for mine. Yeah. It works. Like I really, I really enjoy it though, because like attention to detail is something I'm really good at. You mm -hmm. know. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, so it's and so uh, you know we were talking about before my so my roommate 
He is uh, he's actually the one who got me him and another uh, buddy where they worked for Northrop Grumman on different projects previous summers and this last summer so a year ago they were like you know like hey you know like you should let's get you out here you know working for them and it took me a couple times I didn't I didn't get a an interview until I took my third swing at it and then I finally like you know like got through <laughs> the like it wasn't even a person it was just like you know the internet wall the automated of, yeah like trying to trying to get through uh, and I finally did and I got uh, a nice interview and uh, it was fun. I like. I don't think I've ever done a real interview for a job, which is really interesting. <laughs> so like, I'm at, at twenty nine. I'm working on a space telescope, and like, I did one, but it was over the phone with like six people on the other end, you know. And it wasn't like I wasn't. They weren't really testing me that much, you know. It was very much. It was very laid back, you know. Mm-hmm. I cracked. Uh, I cracked a joke. There was a, there was a ex marine in there too, and uh, he asked me at one point. He was like, hey, you know, because we were talking about my service and stuff, and he was like, oh, okay. Like, what boot camp did you go to? And I was like, oh, Paris Island, where real Marines come from. So, and then everybody laughed. And, like, you know, once you get a room of interviewers laughing, I was like, oh, uh, I got the job. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, like, other other jobs I've had have just, like, they've been, like, situations have been, like, it's been, like, a family company or it's yeah. been, like, just, you know, like, the military or another thing where, like, it wasn't a real interview, you know? There's, right, like, right. not too much pressure. So, mm-hmm. you know, like, because I've had buddies who, like, went to go for work for SpaceX. And they're like, yeah, I did, like, how many, uh... Their rounds did interview. Kenny do? It was like some ridiculous. It was like nine or eleven, like fucking rounds of interviews. Yeah, and they they would so be ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, and they'd take him and they'd be like, okay, so here's a whiteboard. Here's the problem. Figure it out. Yeah, and they'd like test him like, just on like the spot. live, like yeah. everybody sitting in the room watching him try to solve this insanely complicated like physics problem. He's <laughs> just like, uh. <laughs> go to the deep end. Yeah, he ended yeah. up uh, working there as a like professional welder because he did welding in uh it was a special kind of welding it was arc welding or something Mm -hmm. i can't remember maybe maybe that's correct maybe it's not but yeah so yeah yeah which was a weird combination of like his engineering background right he was in a hidden what was his background he's mechanical mechanical yeah mechanical engineering background mixed Mm -hmm. with some Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. aerospace he's aerospace yes i'm sure about that now it makes sense yeah it would make sense that he would do aero if he's going to yeah so Arrow plus the fact that he did some welding stuff when he was in the military. Yeah. Mm, got it. Yeah. Yeah. He was also just a. I think he wasn't too much of a fan of SoCal. So. Yeah. I mean, yeah. he didn't stay there for very long. No, he was there a couple years. Brutal so. on their. Yeah. yeah SpaceX boys. really runs their people hard, but it's like it's it's it follows the same cycle of way employees are. I get you, if you're if you're being polite, you could say used, or impolite, you could say abused in many startups. <laughs> so I'm like Apple went through the same phase, like Google the same phase. You have when you're the company's very young, very hungry, you know, like really trying to make it. The yeah, I mean they'll get young talent in there and they'll run them like 70, 80 hours a week. You know, like just work, 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 work. If you can't keep up, go because there's somebody else waiting to take your place. Yeah. You know. And then as they get more established, they'll start to draw that back and become, and like, so now with, uh, great, we can talk about SpaceX. So, (laughs) so now with the launch of the Dragon capsule and, you know, the first launch of an American astronaut from American soil in almost a decade, now we're starting to see SpaceX hit that point where they are, you know, well known and documented as a major player in the aerospace industry. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're no longer like just checked hungry, boxes. hungry, hungry. <laughs> you know, like like gimme, gimme, gimme. Now I'm sure they're still going to work super hard. It wouldn't surprise me if they still have people working 50, 60 yeah. hours a week. You know, but like a little bit of the pace, I would not surprise me. Slacks off some, and I mean it's all it's also based on the project too. Like if you're if your shit's near launch, then like yeah, like <laughs> all you're doing is working. You know, like, that's literally your job is to, like, be on call 24-7. You're always yeah. working, like, getting this thing ready to go. Right. You know, but, like, and, there, and there's a benefit there for the employee, too, right? It's, like, SpaceX is a name. Yeah. Right? And you yeah. may go there, and you may only work there for a year, mm-hmm. but, and it may be horrible, but now you've got a year's worth of work at SpaceX. Like, yeah. Talk about, a, like, f- 
resume booster. Right, it's like, like it really is trial by fire. Yeah. And then once you've been honed in that way, then you go to any other company that's way more relaxed and you're gonna be like a champ. Yeah. It's like forget it, right? Walk. It's really it's a crucible. It's like yeah. you go in there, you get bent into shape, and then you go anywhere else. And you it's go, the like, boot camp for engineering. Yeah, <laughs> really. So, oh, so why the Dragon Capital is so cool? What they just did is so awesome. Is they've been able to take the amount of money it costs to launch an asteroid into or asteroid astronaut into space <laughs> and like knock that down ridiculously like well. So I'm trying to. I think it's like. I forget the number. I think it's I know 60, I saw 60 million dollars per astronaut to launch somebody into space. Now, what Boeing, because it, it was a dual contract between SpaceX and Boeing, they were both designing mm-hmm. systems to launch private, you know, privately owned systems to launch astronauts into space from the U.S. And those system, and so the Boeing system came in somewhere around like 105 million Whoa. per astronaut or something, which is about what we were paying the Russians to launch our astronauts into space off of their rockets. Huh. SpaceX is doing it for 60. So, yeah, and they're, and they're, like, what they actually, what it costs them per astronaut to launch, like, you know, to do a launch as well is, I want to say it's, like, 30, I can't remember if it's per astronaut or just period, but, like, if they're able to recover the uh, booster from the rocket, so, if anybody doesn't know, so the SpaceX rocket boosters, they fire and they go off into space, and then they, at some point, the first stage detaches, but it saves enough fuel, and then, like, drag fins deploy, and it called plummets back to Earth, exactly to where they have a platform sitting out in the sea and right at the end the rocket fires and it lands itself and then you can recover that booster refurbish it slap it back on a new rocket and fire it again so if they're able to do that i think it's like their cost per launch is like i can't remember it's per astronaut per launch but it's like 35 million or something like that so yeah it's awesome yeah it's uh, yeah. efficiency at its finest yeah it's, 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 it's really cool isn't virgin they had virgin galactic is that so, a real legitimate competitor, or these feel like so the, this is Virgin Galactic like the Kroger is, brand? You know Virgin I mean? Galactic and uh, what's the is it Blue Origin? Blue Origin, Blue Origin yeah. is Jeff Bezos. Yeah, so they're they're doing something different. They're trying to do a commercial space flight. So they're basically yeah. just trying to get like a tourist type. Yeah, well, they're trying to get uh, get a craft together that can get tourists into a low Earth orbit. That's going to you just go up and it decays real quick and you come right back down. So, like, whereas the SpaceX rockets are, like, these are, like, the rockets NASA used to, like, you know, turn to, like, JPL, uh, Jet Propulsion Labs, and, like, be like, oh, hey, build us a rocket that can, like, you know, get us to orbit or get us to the moon or something. Like, SpaceX is building rockets to go, you know, beyond a low-Earth orbit for tourist purposes, whereas Virgin Galactic and Blue Origin, as far as I understand it, are, you know, just trying to get to this, like, you know, low-Earth orbit that's, you know a little more easy to achieve. So it's a um, different market. Yeah. yeah. So I encourage anybody who's interested in this stuff, like just hop on YouTube. There's a million really cool videos out there that have their facts way more straight than <laughs> I do on this stuff and are really entertaining to watch. And so, like, yeah, go check it out. Yeah. So, yeah. SpaceX live-streamed all the, the launch for the Dragon Capsule, so if you can yep. go watch all of that stuff. And you can. It's a beautiful it. thing. So I watched it. I watched it live. Was that so. when they landed the two in synchrony? No, that was last year. Yeah. Those are the, uh, 2018. The, those are the Falcon Heavy boosters. Yeah. So, yeah. That shit was cool. <laughs> yeah. So, they did all that too, and then they, with the most recent one, they showed the inside of the cockpit with the, the astronauts. Yeah. So that was actually one of my last projects in school was to, to take care of a smaller company. I think it's a Rocket Dine something or other. Uh, they have a, I'm trying to remember the name of the rocket, and it's not coming. It's, it starts, it's like a X, but it makes a Z sound. So I don't know, like the, this is a Celsius or something like that. So, yeah. <laughs> Um, like, you know, Xerox, you know, like that kind of shit. 
But it, so they make little tiny rockets, but they, they can hover. So you fire it, and it, the control system on it is able to make it launch and then just hover right there, like a couple feet off the ground. And it's, it's a rocket, so it's firing, you know, but it's just hovering right there. And you can direct it to, like, move around a little bit. So, and, uh, so that was one of my, my like, last cool. serious project for school was to we basically tried to get that to work, you know, design a control system that could do that. Uh, that was hard. So, yeah, <laughs> that, was, oh, that really? was a little more difficult than I expected. Couldn't to imagine. Yeah, I know, right? Crazy. So we were wow, also like, dude, step up. We were trying Whoa. to adapt a model of like a plane or we were trying to adapt a model of a cruise missile from some papers we found that's, and so like, but a cruise missile flies, you know, horizontally and then just turn it vertically. And it, that actually turned out to be insanely difficult to do just by the way you like transfer axes and like the way the forces move and everything and how easy it is to fuck things up and your cosines <laughs> and your sines and like what angles where. <laughs> and yeah, so and then like you know, it's you have to transfer between you know your your different coordinate frames. So like the missile rocket coordinate frame and like your Earth coordinate frame, mm -hmm. and then yeah. So uh, that ended up being tough. So yeah, uh, a little difficult, but we did it. We got it to work sort of on paper, maybe a little bit. So, um, but so why, why the why what the SpaceX rockets can do is so cool is because they are they're not throttling that much. Like they can't throttle how much force they're putting out of the bottom. It's just that open or much. closed, more or less. Mostly, you yeah. can you can you can throttle it a little bit, but like not. It's like I mean, it's like eighty percent or hundred percent or something yeah. like that. You know, so so it's not like a helicopter where you can like oh, okay, well like you know like oh we're coming into land, cut it, cut it, cut it, cut it, and we're landed. No, like you need to. So what they'll do is like they they fire this their solid rocket booster up until an exact amount of fuel, and it lets go, and it comes back down to earth, and then when it's coming down to land. They fight, you know, they're firing it again right at the the end when it's coming to land itself back on their sea platform. It it's running out of fuel, almost like right there at the like they're not. They're, imagine trying to do that without being able to throttle, like how much force you're putting out. So you just you have to fire this thing for exactly the right period of time. Right. right so it so just runs touches out. down perfect. Yeah. yeah. So I think I think they do have like they can shut off like they they can shut off. Like the when it's firing, so if they have a little bit of fuel left over, that's fine. But like they have to fire the exact amount, and they can't like, you know. So it's like okay, we have to fire if we want to decelerate from this speed to this speed, we have to fire it exactly for this many seconds. And if you're a little bit off, then it's gonna hop and fucking fall over and explode. So you know, <laughs> yeah. or it's gonna land too hard, fall over and explode. So which happened a couple times. So, but also great videos. <laughs> yes, yes, also Still fun. just as entertaining. Yeah, oh, going yeah. up. So but yeah, space stuff. So. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Them. Any other questions or thoughts? Because this is something that I've, I always really wanted to talk about, but because of other things going on in the world, <laughs> yeah, hasn't yeah. been gotten to talk about yeah. SpaceX and space launching. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're the man to fucking ask the, to some degree. I mean, whoever, but like you know the tech. I know this I stuff, so I'm just yeah. I'm just curious for the non technical people. Yeah, I guess non technical <laughs> question. And apologies if on the last podcast you explained this, but did you? How did you fall into all of this? Oh, so I worked in just a local company that did like controls, engineering sort of stuff, some engineering projects. So I was working mainly on like these house-sized test systems for helicopter transmissions. So you like take a transmission for a Blackhawk. And so uh, a lot of people, if you don't know, um, a, a helicopter is a lot of it, like a lot of the components is all transmission system. So like, oh, you wow. know, yeah, so like you have an engine, you have jet engines on the side, you know, like, you know, you see usually up on top, you know, to like either side. And while that's running, it's just basically taking that turbine momentum and translating it into rotor momentum exactly the way you want. So the transition like systems on these things 
are immense and usually like one of the first things to break. And, uh, and so you have these huge test systems. You just take this, you know, massive transmission, you know, for a helicopter and you plug it into this machine that's the size of the house and you hook everything up and you run it. And it spins it at, you know, like, you know, 10,000 RPM or, you know, 5,000 or whatever you want to run it at. So I was working on those for a couple summers. And like, that was interesting. Uh, I really enjoyed it. It was with a company called Red Viking. And so, and they do a whole bunch of other really cool stuff. But uh, so yeah, that was fun. But then I was like, okay, I want to, I want to, you know, get out and do something a little bit different. And so I fell into the North of Grumman due to my friends. So my roommate and another ex, so the three of us, all ex-Marines, were here doing engineering at Michigan. And they had worked for North of Grumman and they had good things to say. And like they said, the company culture was great and they're working on really cool projects. And so like good company culture is, you know, like really important to find in engineering. So and so, yeah, they're like, hey, take a look. And so I did. And in terms of how I got on the James Webb after I interviewed with Northrop, luck. So, yep, I just I signed up for my first intern- internship with them. I was like, yeah, sure, I'll come out for the summer. I'll work on, like, what do you got, you know, down at Space Park. And they threw me on the James Webb, and it was just luck of the draw. Wow. So, That's yeah. so cool. Yeah. It's so neat. That's awesome. Yeah. So, and then, uh, so my roommate who's down and uh, he's on his way down to California right now, he's also working uh, on the James Webb. He was working on a different project. I don't know... If I'm allowed to say what it was, so I'm just going to not. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You don't want to infringe on any of He was working stuff. on something else, and it's an early stage project, and he felt like he wasn't really being utilized. Like, he wasn't doing many, like, much hands-on stuff. He uh, didn't feel like he was really being utilized too well, and so I was able, when I left my internship, because he was working a six-month co-op, to get him moved over to the James Webb. Mm-hmm. And so me and him, you know, we've lived together here at Michigan for the last three years, and now we're moving down to L.A. together. That's we're going to be working on the James Webb so together. And, yeah, so living in uh, Cali, riding our motorcycles together. So, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. So, yeah. Cool. Well, I mean, I think with, we're almost at an hour right now, so if there's anything else you want to just throw well, in. Well, I'm down to talk about, like, a ton of, like, whatever you want. So it's, I don't know how long you... It's up to you guys because it's, like, it's fucking hot in here. So yeah, it's, if, it's whatever, if, like, if however wanna, long you guys want to If we want to keep going, so, we totally can. If yeah. not, we can... Because, like, I'm, I'm perfectly happy to jump into some of the conversations Joe and I have had. Oh, sweet Jesus. We'll be here for hours. Yeah, I know, right? So, but. <laughs> we can continue those off air if we want for now. So, yeah, then, so it's, I mean, we can, yeah, we can, we can, we can cut it if we want or we can, yeah, whatever we want to do. We can always do another. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, cool. We'll cut it for now because we'll keep this on all that things also, being space. Was, yeah, that was very space themed. Yeah, which is totally too, cool so. with me. Thank you all for listening to this episode of Feeding Curiosity. I hope you all learned something or at least got you thinking. If you want to dive in deeper, please head over to feedingcuriosity.net to find related links or just more podcasts and blogs that we posted there. On top of this, please consider subscribing to our newsletter to stay up to date on the latest happenings on the website. Thank you all for joining me one more time and we'll catch you all in the next episode.